Dunkachino, don't mind if I do. In honor of the big short, even though that quote's not from the big short, what movie celebrity cameo actually worked for you? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Samuel L. Jackson at the end of Iron Man, because it's easy to forget these many universes later how fun that was the first time. I've forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you had. I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Tom Cruise in uh, Austin Powers' Gold Member. I believe he plays Austin Powers. That movie really goes downhill after that. Gold Member. Oh, gold. But that scene is good. It's gold. And I'm David Ehrlich, and in honor of my favorite film of recent times, and uh, I'm going to go with a crowd favorite, judging by our Twitter response, which is Kate Blanchett in Hot Fuzz, because you barely even know that it's her. It's just, it's the, she's only in there just so we can talk about it on podcasts like this years down the road. I thought you would have gone with Pauly Shore's Carol cameo. Excuse me. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's 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 awesome. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 99 for Tuesday, December 8th, 2015, the final moments of the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. Thank God. Uh, yeah, what's 2016 going to be? I don't the know. The year of literally anything else, please. <laughs> the year the justice dawned. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I might have to do that. Um, we are, we're down at Dave this week, but we have two new reviews. We this do. doesn't really make up for it, but it's very exciting. Uh, David, how about those new reviews? We have two short reviews here. The first from UIC Nessa, who says five stars. I've been enjoying the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, also from North of Eden says, very happy to have found this podcast. It is so hard to find a podcast where the hosts are actually interesting and intelligently discussing the topic instead of smirking and laughing at their own jokes <laughs> or attempting <laughs> to out-joke the other host. They are Not- subtweeting someone else, and I don't know who it is. <laughs> it's a mystery. Not that there isn't a flash of humor, but it's nice to be able to listen to a podcast where the presenters are talking or taking the discussions seriously. We take these discussions very seriously in North of Eden. <laughs> As you're about to find out when we launch into our first topic. In an episode that we started with the Jack and Jill quote. Very (laughs) serious. That's very astute of you. I'm glad that you picked up on it. Um, Thank you for the review. Please keep leaving them. We love them. We will continue reading them and uh, talking about them amongst ourselves. And, uh, you know, keep telling your friends about it, too. That was our message from last week, right? Tell people about it. Yeah, tis the season. Yeah, share with your loved ones the gift of a free podcast. It costs you and them nothing. Everybody wins. Um, so yeah, as you could. Uh, you probably get the sense that uh, I think last week on the podcast we talked about the Independent Spirit Award nominations. This week we want to talk about critic groups and all these uh, best of lists that are coming out. Not exactly award season, but we're tying up the year here. Everyone's coming out with their picks, and I guess in some ways you, you trace the line to uh, the Oscars in some way. But 
No, everyone has their own opinions, and it's we'll interesting to sum up We'll have our top tens soon, too. Yes, it's true. We'll be doing our, this ourselves. Um, the most important Critics Awards group, uh, <laughs> ours. Um, but we should just kick this off. There's been a lot coming out. The New York Film Critics Circle announced theirs. L.A. did theirs. Boston had theirs. Uh, you know, Jay Oberman came out with his kooky list of things that aren't just films and The Walk, which, you know, whatever floats did your you boat, Jay a- Oberman. Did you see John Waters' top ten? No. What's on Which, his? Oh, man. Cinderella is on there. Uh, he rules. Uh, Tangerine, obviously. Hang on. I'm going to look it up because it's really terrific. Well, I will look it up because I want you to start talking about you were in a critics group that voted this weekend. I am. Um, so you should reveal like what this process is like. I don't know if we've ever really talked about you being in the worst critics oh, group of all time, the that, New York okay. Film Hang Critics Online. On. There are a lot of critics groups out there. There's no way NIFCO is the worst. And I It's not the worst, it. but it's like some simultaneously about forward thinking internet writing, but also old. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so it's a group that's, as far as I know, has been around since about as long as the internet has been, and it represents a lot of people who have been online critics for a long time, but don't yes. necessarily. Many have of the a lot writers of are like CompuServe and that sort of. Yeah, place. so it's a uh, you know they don't necessarily have a lot of readership. That's not true for everybody. Dana Stevens is a member who, from Slate, and who's also a member of the New York Film Critics Circle. Stephanie Zaharik the same way. Um, so it's not all you know crazy online people, but a lot of people. So you kind of get. A bunch of people who you're not necessarily hearing from on film Twitter uh, who are voting for their favorite films, which is how something like Trumbo makes NIFCO's top 10 films of the year, which is a choice I never in a million years would have made. But what's really interesting being in the room and watching this happen is how you see choices kind of come back around to the middle. Like you see people fighting for all kinds of weird candidates like Trumbo, uh, but then eventually the majority rules and the majority usually comes down to films like Spotlight or Mad Max that, you know, which were some of the films that run really big. Rooney Mara won the Best Supporting Actress statue, even though I refuse to vote for her in that category because I think it's category fraud. But uh, the vote kind of went, so basically we voted once for whoever we wanted off the list of 10 and then it came down to three to choose from and then it came down to a runoff between her and Kate Winslet. And I voted for Rooney Mara because I didn't want to vote for Kate Winslet. So I kind of supported category fraud by default. Um, (laughs) So all kinds of weird things can happen inside these votes, which is why when you read something insane, like whoever it was that said the Boston Boston critics didn't love Boston anymore because they didn't name Spotlight their best film of the year. (laughs) uh, That is not at all how it works. And it's much more complicated and weird than that. Have you seen Trumbo? Yeah. David, did you see Trumbo? I did. What what's the deal with Trumbo? It's, uh, Why do people in New York movie. love Trumbo? It's just very it's very TV movie esque. It's it's could not be more TV movie esque if it premiered on TV. It's just very <laughs> down the middle. It's not quite womb to tomb of a biopic, but it, it uh, slavishly hits all of these beats for such a remarkably interesting guy, a screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, who was blacklisted, who also wrote the scripts for Spartacus and Roman Holiday. While he was blacklisted. While he was blacklisted. Uh, It's a very interesting story. It's handled in possibly the least interesting way possible, but uh, uh, Brian Cranston is terrific as Trumbo, and it has a lot of color from, well, not in the literal sense, but uh, in the flavor, at least, from the likes of John Goodman and Helen Mirren, but it's the kind of movie that uh, you're just waiting to be over. Do, do you guys see any connection between a city and the movies that they end up picking? I mean, specifically this year, I guess. Well, we, we've someone, been to L.A., we've been to Boston, yeah, we live in New York. I wonder someone, if you think uh, there's a Sam connection. Sam Adams, who runs Critic Wire, tweeted today that he was really hoping that the Los Angeles film critics would choose Tangerine. Um, and the implication between the connection between Los Angeles and Tangerine is that Tangerine is a very L.A. movie. 
Um, and, you know, rather than I hope the Boston film critics choose Tangerine or something like that. Uh, and I won't begrudge him that hope because Tangerine, which is currently on Netflix, is a fantastic movie. And I would hope that it would get some recognition from someone. But uh, it's uh, the Gotham Awards. for cinematography. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, and it was shot on iPhones, which is uh, certainly a- another reason to champion it for cinematography and how innovative it was. Uh, but that did strike me as like, why, why would you, you know, I think there, there is a, there is some appeal to having people reflect their regional tastes. I think that that is why we have these voting bodies. It's always interesting whether or not they are explicit in the choices or if they are sort of in the, uh, deeper in the DNA of what movies, these voting bodies choose to elect, uh, it plays a value. It's fun to look at what LA chose over New York or vice versa, but. Uh, and then ignore all the other critics groups because come on. But, um, wow. <laughs> wow. I'm in another critics group, the Broadcast Film Critics Association, that will also be voting. So just keep throwing shade at me, guys. Oh, I was I was thinking more of like the other cities. It's my it's my job in this. Wow. To, uh, Everyone who says we have a New York bias is yeah. really uh, well. It's not just. A, I mean, for the I, mill I, would, right now. I would bury LA below every, almost every other city in this country, but uh, I think there is a lot of truth to the fact that a lot of these uh, the New York and, and LA votes come out and seem to be at least the only really significant voting groups um, outside of like the, the Golden Globes, which are, you know, I think it's, it's important that these other cities lend their voices and have their critics come together and establish a consensus. But I don't think it's factored into the uh, whole Oscar narrative, uh, which, of course, at the end of the day, is the only truly important thing about filmmaking um, in any serious way. But I, I'm a. Yeah, go on. I, I think you're right that these critics groups don't necessarily have any impact on the awards that come on later, and I don't necessarily think they need to. Like, I think you winning an award from the Los Angeles Film Critics Association is a big honor. It doesn't matter if you go on to win an Oscar. People will remember it. You will remember it. The critics will remember it. You know, it's all part of the same thing. But I am... Right. This is I, why this segment is not an Oscar-related segment. No. <laughs> um, but I am curious to see what happens with Paul Dano, who won at NIFCO, who I think was tied with Leonardo DiCaprio in the Boston Film Critics Association. I was just kind of surprised at the amount of strength he had in voting in this one random group of people that I was voting with um, for a movie that I feel like not that many people have talked about. And he won a Gotham Award for it. So there, there does... And the, the Best Actor category is really weird and not that strong right now. Um, so I'm a little curious to see how that pans out, but like you said, not assuming that any of this will have an impact on more awards. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up uh, Leonardo DiCaprio tying with Paul Dano. I was really happy to see that. Um, and David kind of ribbed me earlier in email because I, I was convinced that the LA critics would kind of bite at The Revenant, and I think, David, you're correct that no one is really biting <laughs> at The yeah. Revenant. Actually, the Boston the Boston critics gave them, uh, gave Chivo <laughs> a, uh, a cinematography award. Well, and Leonardo DiCaprio tied for their best award which is not nothing right no exactly so th- no, there's a little enthusiasm it's there, been but interesting to see that like the revenant joy these movies that people pinned really as early contenders right yeah, I mean, sight unseen. and and i i don't at this point um again not to make this too much of an oscar conversation i don't think that the critics ignoring these movies and their voting groups necessarily means that they won't get some attention from no. the Oscars. Well, that's, what's, that's what'll be interesting. Yeah, they'll if, still if be these in the kind mix. of movies sweep back in. Because, Katie, I think when we did our uh, way, way too early Oscar picks, you picked Joy. as the Yeah, Joy was something I was looking at as kind of a, uh, you know, random, out-of-left-field possibility to sweep in there. And I, I was definitely wrong. Like, I don't think that movie is... I don't well, think it's that kind of movie at all, even lesser than American Hustle was, which is interesting for a lot of reasons we can talk about when we can talk about Joy. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I think everyone was kind of looking toward the end of the year being like, well, people like Spotlight, but they don't love Spotlight. People like Room. Like, there's not, there's still no consensus. Yeah. Right. That's, that's that the most Max, exciting thing yeah, so far really, about this I mean, year. I, I everything's am very all confident that. in the bet that I made Katie several months ago now, which is that Spotlight will win Best Picture. And that's what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to argue its way to victory. I, I really go back and forth every day on how good um, that bet was. I'm, I don't know. I still, I still think something else could win, but uh, I'm, I don't yeah, know Yeah, there's what. just so much craziness that, you know, I, I, I was surprised to see Michael Keaton take a best actor. Yeah, at, but I think uh, looking film, at the New York critics, how L.A., which was torn between Carol and Mad Max all day long, ended up giving Spotlight its only award for best film, because I think that it was, it, that's just what happens. It, it it doesn't have any of the under-the-line categories, but it's such an agreeable movie that no one actively dislikes. Um, and I think yeah. the waters, the the seas will part between Carol and something, and uh, and Mad Max will. Win. I mean, and uh, Spotlight will win. What if Mad Max wins Best Picture? It'd be crazy. I uh, I was really hoping to see Creed uh, pop up more in Critics Awards because it's a populist hit. That on the mark. I mean, I guess critics are never the ones who are going to champion the box office stuff, but well, L.A. did give Ryan Coogler an award. Oh, do they? Uh, oh, Next they, Generation Award. Yeah, which I'm not exactly sure what the definition of the new generation yeah. award is, since he it sounds like not his first wa- film. It sounds like something they just wanted to give him. Right. It's it's the we couldn't find room for you anywhere else, but this movie rules. This is like the people who put Brie Larson down for breakthrough performer at Nifco and made me really mad. It's mm. like no, that's not what this category is for. <laughs> Well, I guess just to wrap up, was there anything else that's been surprising? Katie, you have your, your ear to the ground as far as awards, but I'm, you know, for me, I, I get excited just reading what these different groups, what's emerging here. I, I am a Charlotte Rampling 45 Years fan, obviously. I've made that quite known, um, and I was happy to see her take an I, award I think that from, the uh, uh, Carol and, uh, Awards confusion has really screwed both Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett. Yes, I do, too. Yeah. I think it's uh, it, if they were just both in the lead category, but that's be fine because Charlotte contest. Rampling, you see, Charlotte Rampling. It's yeah, but I think that like it's, it, 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 I think it's very clear, and I, I'm trying to not put my own bias, you know, let my own bias take the lead here. But I think it's clear that uh, either Kate Blanchett or Rooney Mara would be winning a lot of these awards if uh, if the category confusion was not a factor, um, yeah. and uh, that's sad. But well, that's the nice thing about these critics awards too. Every year you see this that they really spread the wealth a lot more than say the Oscars do. So, you know, just because there's confusion in the in the more glamorous departments, I don't know if they necessarily would pop up. Like, why does Carol win Best Picture and someone's not fighting hard enough for one of those two actresses? Hmm? What? What do you mean? Car- Carol won Best Picture at the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. You'd think that. They would cut through that confusion. The voters there—they're in a room, as you said. They're talking oh, I see it what through, you mean, that they and they're still to, winding they up with Sir the Ronan. They're not that beholden to the politics of the Oscars and the weird gaming nah, system. I, think, I don't know. I think Rooney Mara won probably yeah more beholden than most people, and that they are mm. all very clued in. They're very engaged, and they've been fighting about it. Um, and their frustration with the Weinstein Company for for this category fraud, as it's called. Uh, for a while now, and I think uh, it will affect the actors in a way that it will not the picture necessarily. Politics, guys. Politics. Well, there will be more and more critics groups that apparently don't matter, according to David, uh, yeah. announcing their awards 
soon. But I'm looking at the New York Film Critics Circle Awards website right now, and you can scroll through all the winners since 1935, which, which might be pretty awesome. So I would recommend doing that after you kind of zip through all the uh, ones coming out this month. So this weekend I had a thought that I just really wanted to share with you guys and get your reaction. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with pop culture whatsoever, but maybe it does because it's it's conjuring up a dystopian sci-fi world. Oh my um, god. Here's the question. Do you think that throughout your entire lifetime until you die that you'll be using the same email address? Oh. Like, you know, I- whatever your email address is, I won't give it out on the air or at probably Gmail. There's a very good chance to use a Gmail address, Katie and David. But um, do you? You, do you, think you know if we it? use a Gmail. I know, but I'm not gonna say it. I don't want people to hack you. Oh God. Um, I I don't think we'll have email by the time I die. You don't think we'll have email? I think it'll take the shape of something else, and it'll be attached to something more essential to who we are, like our fingerprint or our uh, social security number or DNA or something. And so you won't have to remember passwords or what your email... You won't have to remember your friend's email to be able to email them. You'll just be able to contact them through some, like, more elemental way. But you don't think you'll be logged in? Like, even if you use oh, your no, we'll print, definitely, you'll get Oh, no, yeah, I'll definitely email. be logged in. But you just won't reach me at gmail.com. You'll just reach me. Like, like the fact that we have both an email address and a phone number is going to go away really soon. Really? Like it's just... It's going to be one... All but one what thing. replaces it? Just like you're just going to be messaging people on phone. I mean, like the fact that we use desktop computers at all now is more and more of a rarity. <laughs> like mm. most people are accessing the internet on their phones. I just don't know what replaces it right now. I mean, yeah, no, may, we might I'm all be right now. You asked in my lifetime. Okay, that's true. I, even like 50 years from now, it's hard to imagine getting rid of email. It seems so kind of basic. And, you know, you're probably using Google. Google might own everything you use, but you still might have that same email. It might be. I mean, that's presuming that Google, like, wins out on the Google content. Google does win out. Be scared. Think so? Here's how it ties into pop culture. You should all watch this film, Google in the World Brain, which I thought was really interesting. There's a better film to be, a better documentary, and it will be made one day about Google and everything. Their tentacles are kind of wrapped around, but, like, come on, it's Google and Facebook in the end. What could possibly mm, there's just, contend like, with them? You would have said that about, like... TWA in the 60s or something like there's just right but then there's Ford you know Ford lasted sure well, but I like think, I think that the TWA analogy doesn't quite hold I think that the the modern world allows Facebook and Google to have uh, their tentacles as Patches calls them uh, <laughs> sunk a little bit deeper into our lives sure, than sure. intractably in a way that choosing which airline to fly did not right it's not as material which it probably helps. Sure, yeah. I mean, Google and Facebook definitely own tons of our brains, but, like, who's going to say that they're not going to merge? Who's going to say Gmail's not going to, like, run out of individual care? I just, I don't think there's any way that we're going to be identified by some made-up name that we choose for ourselves in a Gmail platform and that it won't be much more elemental and tied to our, like, physical bodies. David, do you think you'll have your email until the end of time? I'm a terrible futurist. I, I, uh don't have much of a capacity for imagining the future um, nor a lot of interest in doing that but you that, love the world of tomorrow yeah well I uh, and Tomorrowland but the world of tomorrow is not about tomorrow so uh, but I think that 
I don't know. I, I've had such email frustrations over the years because I have like all these accounts that I created back when email was a lot less meaningful, and then uh, iCloud and Mobile Me and all this Mac shit. They got like nine different email addresses <laughs> wrapped up together, uh, and you get a different email address for every job you have. And I don't know. I mean, I I, I think that uh, I have a lot more confidence in my Twitter account lasting Whoa, than I do my email. Oh, interesting. Uh, not that I necessarily believe in Twitter as a medium surviving email, but just as far as like having one alias that sticks with you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as I, long as there is I am yeah, so I agree with that. Like I don't think Twitter will last as long as email, but I don't think I'll ever have another Twitter name. Yeah. Well that yeah, of course, of course. But email just seems like the last man standing in some ways. Because I know Facebook you know, hoped its messaging system would kind of get rid of email altogether. It was an email killer, and it just didn't happen. I would be curious what our younger listeners, and I'm talking people. They probably don't give a shit about their email. Right. I want to know, did they use email? What are they doing? If they don't use email, text messaging? Is that it? But, like, you can't text message your coworkers eventually, so it's almost like you have to assimilate into email, but I don't know. I, I was I think, probably a little tipsy and just thinking about the future again. I think email is something that you use to communicate in, with the grown-up world in some way or another when mm. you're that age. Like, you have to use it to, like, talk to your teachers or your parents when you're at college or something. Um, but it's not as fundamentally wrapped up into their lives as it is for us. There's the Snapchat. future, Conan? All the way in the year 2000. <laughs> Uh, well, I just want to end this segment by saying that uh, I have a friend who is a Nigerian prince who <laughs> could really use some money, and if anyone yeah. can send it through email, uh, that would be great. Yeah, for our younger listeners, uh, that's a reference to a thing that used to happen on the internet. So we are playing catch up here a little bit um, because we did not get to review the film Spotlight over our our time in our review episodes. That's what happens at the end of the year. We get caught up. We're trying to review as much as possible. Time doesn't allow it. And movies like Spotlight, which David believes will win the best picture of the year, uh, don't even get talked about on this show. So we, we should probably talk about Spotlight. Uh, for people who don't know, now is Spotlight open open wide yet? Um, yeah, I think so. It's or been I think open it's like for a while. It's getting there halfway. It's in now in I would say select theaters rather than limited. There's right. It's uh, it's only discovered about twelve or fifteen priests who are molesting kids <laughs> right now. It's working up to its full ninety oh potential. Um, yeah. So it's for people playing who... in a theater <laughs> near you, but not theaters everywhere. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's apt. It's um, been in 897 theaters. Oh, so that's getting close, but not like 2,000. Anyway... Actually, currently in 980. Excuse me. Okay, people can see the goddamn movie. <laughs> if you haven't heard of Spotlight, it is the true story of um, Boston Globe's investigation into this kind of massive scandal within the Catholic Archdiocese in Boston, um, you know, revolving around child molestation, uh, you know, the church, the Catholic Church, came under total fire. Uh, I guess it was in 2000, 
and two, they launched a story January two thousand two. No, two, oh, they launched a story. In two, yeah, sorry, they were researching in two thousand one. Yes, nine eleven plays a minor nine, role in the movie. Yes, exactly, and and the uh, faction of the Globe that's doing it is the Spotlight Group, which does these kind of long form pieces. As Michael Keaton says in the movie, it could take up to a year for them to research these pieces. What a dream, slackers uh, for journalists. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys do? And publish, publish. There's aggregated content. News to- we need content. <laughs> Okay, There's we're, we're trailers out there. We're looking inward a little too hard here. Um, so yeah, I think we all liked Spotlight on, on some level. Uh, kind of to distance ourselves from just a straight review, I want to I want to turn this conversation towards Spotlight as a full package. I think people have really concentrated on on the acting and and the script from uh, writer director Tom McCarthy. What and he, do, has what a co- he has a this... co-writer as well. I think Josh Singer. Is his okay, name. yes, yes, uh, co-written by Josh Singer, and. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot, I think you kind of referenced it, with Trumbo earlier. Trumbo looks like a TV movie. Why is this a movie? What is it, What makes this cinematic? Uh, and we heard a lot of the same type of conversation uh, just recently because The Hateful Eight, Tarantino's Hateful Eight, has been screening for people in glorious 70 millimeter. And um, I think our colleague Drew McWeeny wrote some piece on Hit Fix about how it was a dis- he had a disastrous film experience. And if this is what film is like you know who who gives a shit go back to digital which is what tarantino loathes tarantino thinks digital just looks like television it keeps coming back to this film versus television war and i thought about spotlight because i know when i walked out of the movie uh at, like, at toronto let's, let's, wait hold let's on retire that phrase though i always every what, time what, you, mo- what you phrase? walked out of it I, it sounds like you left in a huff before the movie had ended. When What's you, wrong with walking out of a... Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, it does make it sound like you... <laughs> when I exited like, the... Uh, when when I exited the Spotlight, yes, 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 I left the theater at the end of the movie yes. <laughs> after applauding during the credits of Spotlight. <laughs> I, I exited the theater, moseyed out, and uh, and and I, I absolutely love the movie, but I think what kept it from greatness for me, if that's a thing, um, might be its, its style, its plainness, um, which has kind of come under fire, but also been applauded by many critics. So let me turn this to you guys. Uh, you, you knock Trumbo for looking like a TV movie. Uh, Tarantino knocks anything projected on digital for looking like television. Um, and I, you know, during Spotlight, I thought about David Simon's Show Me uh, a Hero miniseries from earlier this year on HBO. Another marvelous, well-reported um, piece of, of, of dramatic journalism. And they look very similar, Spotlight in that. Um, that's television. Spotlight's not. So what? What, what am I hitting here? Is, is I mean, Spotlight? You know, is it cinematic? And is that why it's going to possibly win Best Picture? Or is it really just great television that we get to watch in a movie theater? I think we should probably retire the looks like a TV movie thing as well as even though we did just use it about Trumbo. Because Everything's Trumbo, retiring in Trumbo, this podcast. Like a TV movie is one thing to say, and it's something that I I agree with. But uh, I the reason that I think that Trumbo feels like a TV movie has a lot less to do with how it, it's shot and more of how it moves. Yes, okay. Hmm. But basically what I wanted to say is that like the Nick is as cinematic as anything you could ever see and it's on television. Um, so, and it, like that distinction, Quentin Tarantino is fighting a losing battle. But I do think that Spotlight's lack of frills and the way that it isn't telling its story in anything like aggressively cinematic is a really important part of why it's telling its story. And Trumbo has kind of a lack of style. It has kind of a general polish that makes it look okay okay but it serves no purpose and spotlights style like very unaggressive style serves a really important purpose yeah, for the way that they're telling the story 
I mean, to completely agree with what Katie just said, I think that the difference is that Trumbo is... uh, Spotlight is making choices that are not particularly sexy, but are uh, instrumental to the story that it's telling. Uh, where and which is not to say that it's like the the peak of uh, it's using the cinema to the best of the story's ability and the best of the film's ability, but I do think those things are deliberate and conscious and effective. Whereas Trumbo just looks like a lack of choice. That has been I like made. that we're using Trumbo a movie no one has seen nor will ever see. That's but. fine, and you can <laughs> but almost one best picture is. at the uh, New York Film Critics Online. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a, it's the difference between an. Uh, a, choice that's not going to you know smack you across the face and be interesting versus just uh, making the most milk toys uh, milk toast almost lack of choice that you can um, which is I something think, spotlight easily could have done if it were right. as only as concerned with performance and script as i think a lot of people are accusing it of being right i, I just think that spot as katie said uh, you know it's it speaks to the story at hand the themes of what, what's happening um the resistance provided not only by the citizenry of Boston, but also by the uh, unpleasantness and, and sort of, you could say almost the, the anti-cinematic nature of the, the story that they were reporting itself. Um, and I think that it pays off in a big way towards the end when you suddenly feel the, um, there's a victory or there's a sense of profundity, at least, in the lack of uh, this giant watershed moment. I mean, the movie ends with them just being like, all right, back to work. And, like, that is the feeling that it's been building towards the entire time. And I think that... Uh, and, uh, it's not exactly, eh, back to work. Well, it's, you know what I mean. It's like that we've done our job. The investigation like, goes a, on. Yeah, exactly. Team Spotlight. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, there's no big fanfare for these people. They're they're doing the Lord's work in a, in a way, ironically. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, yeah, I think that... that lack of a groundswell and the, the sort of water going back out to sea from the tide feeling that it leaves you with is is uh, the long game that Tom McCarthy has been playing with his direction and I think it's it's brilliant in its own way um, yeah, even if I, it's not super sexy there are, there are choices I mean there are visual choices that really struck me upon a second viewing Tom McCarthy knows just it's, when it's to kind of pull up pull backwards with the camera just as people are, are discovering information and uh, the problem seems so much bigger and so does the frame. It's very cool uh, how, how the script and the motion kind of syncs up at very key moments. But, you know, I, I did <laughs> what I sent you guys was someone rounded up a bunch of reviews where people were calling it uh, Spotlight, a, a masterly kitchen sink drama, or Spotlight, a navy blazer of a movie, or Spotlight, <laughs> a rolled up shirt sleeve of a movie. <laughs> I was just like, these are good things, I, I guess. These are, it's, it's, yes, it's very efficient. But I did think of uh, All the Presidents, Man, a movie that keeps coming out when people are talking about Spotlight, yeah, and just of thinking course. of the cinematography and the mood uh, of that. Uh, the visual mood of that of that movie and what separates Spotlight for me, like why why does it have to be so country just because the investigation is straightforward? What what why I, does that stand out of its way? Is that a good why is that a good thing? I would suggest that all the presidents men, not that it was intentional, but it got to be from a time when newspapers may have been at their greatest peak at 
ever. That story was kind of one of the best examples of what a newspaper can do. And the Boston Globe story is similar, but it's coming at a time when newspapers are so terribly constrained. And then the fact that I was thinking about whether or not Spotlight would work as well if it were on stage. Um, And I think that you could, you know, build a set that would get it effective. But the way that the set gets you that kind of rabbit warren of an office that they all work in and they have to go down the concrete stairs carrying like cake in their hands and how gross the whole thing is. It tells you so much about the state of the newspaper industry that they don't have to be like, well, ad sales are declining and we need to get a good story. I mean, you get some of that in dialogue, but the way that the kind of murkiness of the whole thing tells you about the state of the newspaper industry is really important. So it can't look as good as all the president's men. Wait, it it has to reflect how downtrodden the business is, you think? That it's just cut and dry, like it's bare bones because that's how the operation is being run at that point? I think that's why you don't get those like big, you know, like all the president's men is defined by those like really long death takes inside the Washington Post newsroom. I think that's why you don't get that because the Boston Globe is in a shittier office. I guess they're also not going to shadowy places, you know. The president's (laughs) men can be shot. You know, Gordon Willis can create shadows in this ominous deep throat moment in in all the president's men but these guys in spotlight are really just running around in broad daylight well um, and as were these priests i mean that this is the secret whoa. that so many people knew about that everyone in boston was like oh yeah priests were abusing kids and everyone was aware of it but no one was looking into it, it really was right there on the surface also you can't go to a shadowy place as an, in a journalist movie and meet with the source and not get immediately compared to all the president's men it's a losing game that's true and they didn't really meet with sources they actually just did their own reporting did I yeah. just diss Woodward, <laughs> Woodward and Bernstein? And Bernstein. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Fuck you guys. I'm going to go write a list um, that's better than what they did. Just hand you the information. <laughs> Jesus, get out there, kids. Report. Uh, you know, actually, speaking to that, what I really like about the movie, and I don't know how hard you had uh, Tom McCarthy had to work to do this and his locations uh, manager or whatever, but a lot of the shots just have the church or various churches at Boston kind of hovering yeah. over them in a very terrifying way, which I, I always appreciate. Um, but so I guess just to kind of wrap up on Spotlight, well, I didn't know what you guys really thought of it. David, I know it's not on your, it didn't make your top 25, which I can say because the video is out there. Uh, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's close. It was close. But so what, where, where, where do you stand on this? I mean, for me, it's some of the best acting of the year and maybe in less obvious places. Michael Keaton, as we mentioned, won New York Film Critics Circle Best Actor. I don't really get that. Um, no one seems like the, the, the lead of the, of the movie, per se. I guess he's the head of the team, so he might feel a little more like the best actor of the bunch. But for me, I, I love Mark Ruffalo. has this amazing speech in it um, and really hustles no, the movie. forget anyone whose name you know when it comes to Spotlight. I think this, the real oh, takeaway I, from I Spotlight and the acting side are like, Brian D'Arcy James. He's so good. Um, yeah. And Neil Huff. And... Uh, Who's Neil Jamie, Huff play? Neil Huff plays, plays the guy who gives them the information, or comes to them first. The oh, guy, yeah. The guy who's with the, of the, very with the, good. With the victim group? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's good. very angry. <laughs> and this uh, this new actor, Stanley Tucci, is <laughs> phenomenal um, as really sort of the moral center of the film. And, and But what about Leo part. Schreiber? He was the one I was going to mention. Schreiber I think he's great. the best. Well, okay, here's one of the reasons. Ray Donovan! Spotlight. <laughs> Spotlight is a great movie about how sometimes 
to fix the city, it just takes one Jew. One Jew. <laughs> and uh, Happy Hanukkah, everybody. Happy Hanukkah. That's really <laughs> what I took away from this film. Oh, uh, and I don't know what else there was. Uh, but no, I mean, it's a, it, it is sort of a class. There are a lot of narratives folded into Spotlight, which is one of the things I appreciate about it. Um, and the narrative of, of an outsider coming into a very insidery town whether he be Jewish or something else. It almost has a Western feel to it. Hmm, uh, yeah, of, he's like Wyatt Earp. Yeah, and he, cam, he cam, comes in to, to a new town. He's a new sheriff. I was going to say it was like the bu- A Bug's Life. I'm sorry, Gil. And, uh, and well, the bugs, A Bug's Life was adapted from Seven Samurai. Yes, which, I know, I know. know <laughs> strong ties to the Western. But, uh, uh, and then, it, this is not relevant to the movie, but shortly after the events of the film, he left for another newspaper somewhere else. Uh, and like that's that. I think that that element is really interesting to it. I think that each character really has their own thing going on. And I'm glad that, although there are a few concessions to like, oh, the Mark Ruffalo's character's marriage is suffering from this. You like literally never see his partner. I don't think. Um, I I like that uh, they allowed for these outer lives, these outer narratives, to inform these characters without ever having to dwell on them. Um, without being like, you know, the big short does this really poorly, where it's yeah. just like, here is uh, Marissa Tomei as Steve Girl's wife. And you're like, it, it just it's it's very uh, inelegant. Uh, uh, what's it? Unelegant. How? Yeah. Inelegant. Or uh, inelegant. concussion is another <laughs> yes. uh, good comparison I haven't seen concussion, but I will definitely take your word for it on that, that score because that sounds like terrible love story. Well, in I was, was yeah. going to say, too, Rachel McAdams has a moment where um, they're going to print the story finally. And she's sitting with her grandmother, her nana. Mm. And lets her read it, and you've you've seen her right at the beginning of the movie go to church with her once, and for some reason that that's just enough to inform you what's going yeah, on. Yeah, no I feel like there's really one spoken. other scene with her briefly, uh, but that that definitely hits home. I think that moment really works because you know that her grandmother is meant to represent this like died in the wool Catholic uh, from Boston her whole life. Um, really, it, it feels like the subject, like the. Uh, a microcosm of what they're doing for the whole city of like their own turning on the institution to be the bearers of terrible news. Uh, and so it's that and it's very effective. Guys, Spotlight is so good. This whole conversation is reminding me how good this movie it's is. It's really good, but that's, this is what I keep thinking. Like, there's something that's keeping me back from just unabashedly loving the hell out of this movie. There's just, there's, I don't know what it is. And maybe it is aesthetic, or maybe it's just that it's. So straightforward and to the point. Like, this isn't like uh, Show Me Hero, which I referenced at the beginning, which had such direct ties to everything we're going through now. And it's such an explainer for so many different social problems we're experiencing today. Like, what an urgent story. And yet we're talking about Yonkers in the 80s, which I thought was really amazing, that detachment, but bringing it to the forefront. Spotlight is very straightforward. I mean, it's about great reporting. We need that. And I think it owes a lot to David Simon, both, you know, The Wire. Yeah. Uh, Has David and, Simon and, talked about Spotlight? I feel like... Yes, he just gave a very lengthy interview to Jada, our colleague Jada Yuan at Vulture. Um, and, and I hope he liked sh- it. It's all about Spotlight. I hope he liked it. <laughs> he did, he did. I, he actually disses Vulture in the interview. Oh, yeah, I read like, that part. This is what real reporting is. Well, Watch he, Spotlight, uh, he cast Tom McCarthy as one of the worst on-screen journalists of all time in season five of The Wire. So Tom McCarthy probably learned a thing or two about yeah. what not no, to it do. Is, it is rarely satisfying, having watched The Wire, to see Tom McCarthy make this movie. So, okay, like, th- this is a perfect film, then? 
Oh God, that's not, that's not a fair question. I really love this film. I think it's it's when you're talking about how straightforward it is. That's what I've loved about all of Tom McCarthy's other movies. I haven't seen The Cobbler. It's true. Uh, all of his other movies besides The Cobbler. Um, and I, I don't know. They, I'm, I'm so glad Tom McCarthy is making movies in the way that he's making them and that he's getting this kind of recognition for Spotlight. I'm so glad it gave Rachel McAdams a good part um, who's long deserved something like this. I don't know. I, th- I find this movie so satisfying to think about. I really can't wait to see it again. Um, I don't know. Let me watch the second time and I'll decide if I think it's It's perfect. interesting comparing Spotlight to his previous movies. You know, Win Win is probably the foggiest in my memory, um, even though I really, really enjoyed it. Station Agent is Station Agent is one of my favorite movies ever. I just love the hell out of that movie and that it's kind of rambling and the characters get so close without doing very much, uh, which I guess has ties to Spotlight. But The Visitor, The Visitor with uh, Richard Jenkins, who mm-hmm. I, also does not appear in Spotlight, no, but, but gives he's a there. very chilling performance. Um, really knocks you out over the phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Richard Jenkins uh, in The Visitor, I find that film to be have so much momentum and be so terrifying at times. Very stressful, but very pleasant and, and vibrant when these characters actually have uh, winning moments. I, I, lo- I love The Visitor, um, but I w- I, maybe that's it. Maybe Spotlight doesn't have the electricity. It kind of takes a while for the momentum to go, which obviously, because it's following the investigation very strictly, um, you know, it's, it's conceding some of that to the truth. But uh, Truth! Truth. Not not truth. The other journalism movie that came out that we did not talk about on this podcast. Did you see it? Yeah. Did you uh, see it, don't see Truth and Spotlight too close together. Did you see your beloved? Uh, yeah, Kate Blanchett? Blanchett's great in Truth, but that is not a good movie. <laughs> Why exactly. isn't it a good movie? I, I it, thought it was. It, it just basically fine. does all. It basically undoes all the things you're saying that are great about Spotlight and uh, does them the other way. It's around. very dramatic. Yeah. It's uh, it's taking a very strong moral stance on a very morally murky situation. <laughs> yeah, the ending is very odd. There's yeah. he, he, James Vanderbilt has a point to make about that whole fiasco and Dan Rather and such. But yeah, different movie that'll be on Netflix soon, I'm sure. Whereas Spotlight, <laughs> you'll have to rent on iTunes if you choose not to see it in. And theaters. if you see it with a Best Picture winner seal on it, know that David Ehrlich is fifty dollars richer. Woo. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday talking about the big short. Celebrity cameos and the financial crisis. What more could you possibly want? In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can read the blurbs that we put on the podcast which i write and i don't know if people ever read uh or you can listen to the episodes or you can leave comments or you can tell us if you think you'll have your email info. yeah i actually really want to hear the answers to this question yeah me too <laughs> i'm david ehrlich i'm a staff writer at rolling stone you can find me on twitter at david ehrlich you can find all of us together on facebook at fighting in the war room nice dramatic pause um, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com. Still talking about Oscars like all the time. Um, or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And also all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can chat with us or also just answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the big short, what movie's celebrity camelo- cameo camel toe <laughs> actually works for you? Celebrity Camelot. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. 